Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. That's the feeling that I get when this happens to me. So it's after dinner in my house. And I go to clean the kitchen, get all of the dishes loaded. The food is put away. The counters are wiped. The floor is swept. And I turn to head towards my couch to enjoy some rest at the end of a long day. Now, my house is not open concept, so in getting from the kitchen, I must go through the dining room to get to the living room. And as I'm going through the dining room, I see out of the corner of my eye that there are still dishes on the table. And there is still food out, and nothing has been wiped down, and the floor is somehow a disaster, even though it was swept at breakfast time. And I think to myself... Order of operations. No! You gotta clear the dining room into the kitchen and then you do the kitchen. No, that happens to me too often. But there are many things in life that leave us feeling uh, frustrated. And there are not words, we just have groans and moans as we deal with things like performance reviews and grades and endless meetings, and our phone is constantly dinging and vibrating at us, and you just got a few emails since the beginning of this sermon, and there's repairs that need to be made, and there are things that have been deferred. And then you add on top of that the big things that are happening in the world that we cannot explain and don't know what to do with, and we're dealing with health crises, and nations are at war against nations, and people are killing people and seemingly with no reason. And there are not words to express how we feel. Sometimes it feels like an accomplishment just to get out of the house in the morning. Right, So I'm in this stage where getting everybody fed and, and clothed and you get in the car and your day has not even started and you're already exhausted. You feel like you need a star or a, a sticker or a smiley face or a venti latte. That was Wednesday. And, and what, whatever it is for you, I don't know what stage of life you're in, but life can be so tiring. One step forward, two steps back. We keep marching forward. We're trying to keep our head above the rising tide of water that's coming at us wave after wave. And it seems like everything in life is more complicated and more difficult than it's supposed to be. Amen. And that's because it is because of sin. Life is a struggle. Life is hard. Life is filled with pain. And so we groan sometimes inwardly, Sometimes outwardly, we groan and we long and we hope and we pray for something better. And into that reality, these words inspired by God, written by a church leader who was tired and beat up, written to people who were tired and beat up. Real true today, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. We need an eternal perspective. And that eternal perspective, that hope that one day God's going to make everything wrong right, we need that because it gives us hope for today. It gives us real help and comfort. And so Paul writes with realism about the current reality. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is honest. Paul writes with realism. He says, in the midst of the sufferings that you are facing, he also writes with gospel optimism about the future. Those bring to the future a glory that awaits us. You see, that word gospel is important. We need a gospel optimism. Because you can go and Google and you can find talks from people who will try to inspire you to just be positive. Look on the bright side. Let's hope for positive karma. Let's just try to think about good things. But what we need is a gospel-based optimism, a reason to have biblical hope. And so there's two things that Paul begins this passage with and that the Bible affirms over and over again. The first one is that life is hard. As Wesley said to the Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. And yes, I just quoted the Princess Bride in a sermon. Some of you are judging me right now. Life is hard. Everyone knows it. People who are paying attention seem to realize that life is filled with pain. It turns out this whole project called Being Human is actually quite difficult, isn't it? And no one can fully insulate themselves from the pain. It's part of the human condition. And some people will try to sell that if you just become a Christian, your life will be easier and you can avoid all of this pain and suffering. But Jesus never promised that. He promised us a way that is better. He promised us a way to eternal life. But I have news for you. I hate to tell you this. There's actually added suffering to becoming a follower of Jesus. You see, not only are we not exempt from the hardness of life, but on top of that, there also can be a suffering with following Jesus and that people might misunderstand you or misrepresent you or not like you or make fun of you because you live in the way of Jesus and that's different from the world. So Christians are not exempt from suffering. There's actually an added layer. Sorry for those of you who didn't realize that when you joined the club, but uh, that's the way it is. Life is hard. And so I don't think it's helpful when Christians deny or minimize pain and suffering. Try to pretend that it doesn't exist if you'll just do the right things and have enough faith that you can avoid all of the hard realities of life. No, that's dishonest. It's misleading. And in fact, it suppresses the doctrine of sin. It ignores the reality that life is hard and it's not the way that it's supposed to be. And we have to understand that in order to understand the doctrine of grace. And so the first truth is that life is hard. The second one is that there is hope in Christ. Both of these things are true equally at the same time. Life is hard and there is hope in Christ. People, Christians are people of hope, not just because of what our future holds, but because of what we have now. We are a hope-filled people. Paul's already discussed what it means to be justified, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because of that, our debt of sin has been paid. The righteousness of Jesus has been placed into our account. 
He goes on to talk about sanctification. That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Jesus to us so that over time we actually become more like Jesus. What has been declared true of us in our justification is now actually becoming true. Now here Paul goes on to talk about glorification, the promise that one day that process will be completed. We will be truly like Jesus. We'll be truly and fully human again. And that gives us hope in the midst of present sufferings. We need an unshakable hope to endure life's challenges and pain. And the gospel promises us a better tomorrow and comfort for what we face today. So this is where we live in the human condition. We live in this tension, traveling these dual roads of pain and of hope. That's why I use the image here of the train track. I had a friend, I have talked about this before, but a pastor friend who said, you know, a lot of people think life is like the stock market and there's highs and there's lows and it goes up and it goes down. But he says, you know what I've found? I've found that every day there's pain and there's hope. Not good days and bad days. If we're paying attention, not always to the same degree, but every day is filled living in this tension between who we are and who we were supposed to be. And so because of that, we run down these parallel tracks of pain and hope. And you see both of them all the time. And so Paul expresses this tension through using a very interesting word. He uses it three times in this section, verses 22, 23, and 26. And in English, it's translated groan or groaning. So I started this morning, right? We all groan. We all have that exasperated frustration, that sigh, because there are no words. And this word in the original language, it means to groan because of pressure of being exerted forward. Pressure that is building. And, and Paul uses the example of the building pressure of childbirth. There's a process and there's pain. I don't begin to speak of these things with firsthand knowledge. I understand. There's a process. Ends in joy. And Paul says that's what our lives are like. There's, there's a tension. We're living in this state where we're groaning. We're longing for the process to be completed, to find the joy at the end. But in the meantime, we groan. There are no words to express. And so Paul here is talking about how suffering produces in us a hope, a hope for something that we don't yet have. And he's saying that some days into our eternal future, right? And I say relative because there will be no time. We can't wrap our minds around that. But someday, years and years, hundreds of thousands of years into our eternal future, our suffering in this life will be like drinking a small medicine cup of bitter water compared to the joy of swimming in the oceans of God's grace. And that's not to diminish your pain or say that it's not insignificant. It's that it's not real. It is. But Paul's saying someday we're going to be, it's just going to be like, you remember that? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. Maybe we won't. That'd be great. But the, but the bitterness of this life, it's real, but it, but it is so small compared to what lies ahead for us. An amazing reality. And so Paul takes this idea of groaning and he adds to it expectation. Verse 19, he says, For the creation waits in eager 
expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This phrase, eager expectation, it translates kind of a weird word in the original language. It's kind of a combination, like a mashup, if you will. It's a, it's a compound word, and it means to stretch the head forward. This idea of anticipation. So my daughter, who's 11 months old, is uh, ridiculously cute, and she does thousands of cute things. But one of the things she started doing recently is that when she's sitting strapped in her little high chair, a booster chair, if something is going on in the room that she sees or hears that seems interesting to her, she does this thing where she leans forward and cranes her neck out trying to figure out what is going on and it's so cute right it's what i look like when i'm watching carolina basketball you know i'm just this. leaning forward out of expectation and longing and so when you add the groaning of frustration to this eager expectation what we see is this idea of longing longing we're longing for something better and it gives us hope And so Paul expresses it in three ways here. First, he says, God's creation is longing for renewal. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. But in the meantime, creation groans. That's because in Genesis 3, we're told that when sin entered the world at the start of and between people and their God, but it also infected all of creation. That the very created order, the physical created order of the world is subject to sin as well. And therefore the world is not what it's supposed to be. Some people think that this explains why we have tornadoes and, and, and hurricanes and other natural disasters. I can't prove it chapter and verse, but it it makes sense, right? The world, even the world is subject to decay and is breaking down. Everything is breaking down. And that's because of sin. And so even creation is longing for this day of redemption, waiting to see us, the people of God, redeemed, knowing that it all ends and that God will redeem the very thing that he called good, which is now subject to sin. And so the curse will be reversed and the earth itself will be renewed. So the earth is groaning, but then it says that God's people groan inwardly as we wait. We're longing for renewal. Talks here about the idea of adoption. Paul's talked about it in other places in Romans. And our adoption is part of this already but not yet process. We're already adopted into the family of God, but yet there are some benefits of adoption that we have not yet received. We won't see until we are in heaven. He also adds to that the corruption of our physical. That we still have to die. Physically, our bodies are wearing down, they're breaking down, and we're longing for a day when they, they will be made new again. Amen? Right? We wait for that. We long for that. But we're not yet there. One day we'll get that new body. And then in verse 24, Paul goes on to emphasize the hope that we have as believers. It's important to understand the concept of biblical hope. Some people think of the word hope as wishful thinking. We'll throw the word around. We'll say, oh, I hope my team wins the game. 
I hope I find a cute dress when I go shopping. Like, I don't know what you're hoping for, but it's, it's wishful thinking. Biblical hope is different from that. Biblical hope is the absolute of what God has said he will do, he will do. That's what hope looks like in Scripture. It is knowing. It's not wishing. It's knowing that God will do what he has promised. So there are things about God's renewal that we have to wait for. We don't get them this side of heaven or we don't get them fully. And so we have to wait. And then at the end of verse 25, there's this word that's added on that I would be glad if it wasn't there, but it's there. And it ends with the word what? Patiently. Patiently. We wait patiently. That's hard. We all know you don't pray for patience, right? Because then you'll be given opportunity to grow in it. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit evidence that the spirit is working in our life, but it's not one of the more popular ones, you know, like love and joy and peace. They're like the apples and bananas of the fruit of the spirit. Like most people like them. And then you have patience, which is like, I don't know, kiwi or grapefruit or like some people really like them and know what to do with them. And others are like, I don't know. It's just weird. And that's how patience is, right? It's the fruit of the spirit. It's not our favorite. But it's an important one. We wait patiently. Waiting is all over the Bible. It's important. People have to learn to wait. We don't wait passively. It's not like there's nothing to do while we wait. We wait actively. But we're told that we have to wait for aspects of God's renewal. The second thing we see, or the third thing we see, in addition to the longing of creation and of the people of God, is it's kind of weird we see that God's spirit is longing and groaning. That's weird. 26, it says, In the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we are groaning. We're longing. But God's spirit, the very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is also groaning and longing. Now, I don't think God is frustrated in the same way that we are. But we see this this example. The Spirit is also groaning with us, longing for this better day, for our complete and total redemption. This is one of those verses that people take out of context, and they draw some really weird conclusions, like, what's this whole group? But when you you look at it here, it makes sense. But it's mind-blowing that... All of creation is groaning and frustrated. We, as God's people, are groaning and frustrated. And God is joining with us and coming alongside of us. Just as Jesus, the incarnation, like came to us, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is groaning with us. God longs with us for this better day. So as we wait, patiently, ugh, And we groan, frustrated with the way things are in the world. What resources do we have? We have a lot, but Paul gives us three here that are very important. And the first one is the ringer, and that is God's prayers. Now, that sounds weird to even say out loud. We pray to God, right? No, God's prayers. That's what the Bible says. Verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes. That just means to pray. On behalf of another person, the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
Let's think about this for a second. God, the Holy Spirit, is praying for you right now. In the midst of whatever you're going through, whatever frustrations, whatever challenges, I I know some of them, but some I have no idea. But God knows, and God is praying for you right now. God, the Holy Spirit, is interceding on your behalf. And not only that, but there's times when we don't know what to pray. We don't have words. We're wordless. We're speechless. We don't know what to pray. We can only long and groan and wait for something better. And even when we do know what to pray for, there are times when we don't pray according to God's will. Right? Scripture says if you pray according to God's will, he hears us, he'll respond. But that means sometimes we pray and it's not according to his will. Sometimes it's that he doesn't answer your prayers. Well, he does. He hears them. But his answer is no. We're not right now. We're not in that way. And that's what's best for us, as hard as it is. But there is one who prays according to the will of God every time. And that is the Holy Spirit praying for you. I know for me, I find it very comforting when when there are people that are praying for me. And there are some people in my life, I know, and they say, I'm going to be praying for you. I know. Like they're a person of prayer and they're going to be praying for me. And that gives me genuine comfort and hope. But even the best of those prayer warriors don't always pray according to God's will. They don't know it that well. In those moments, I can know that God, the Holy Spirit, is praying and interceding for me. But friends, it gets better. It gets better than that. Hebrews 7 tells us that not only is God, the Holy Spirit, praying for you, but that Jesus, the Son of God, is also praying for you. It's like two for one. It feels like an infomercial. It gets better, but it's real. It's real. Not only is the Spirit... So, so like, let's just get this. When you feel frustrated... And you have no words. When life is exerting this pressure on you that is building, I'm here to tell you, friends, God's word tells you that God the Holy Spirit and that Jesus, your Savior, are both praying for you, knowing how to pray according to the will of God. Put that in your back pocket and take it home. I should just stop right there. I'll cover the passage, but, you know, we're Presbyterian. So, that's amazing. The prayers of God. Doug Moo is a scholar I appreciate, uh, especially his book on Romans. He's out of Wheaton. He says this, Our inability to pray as precisely as we would like to is no hindrance to the working of God's perfect will in our lives. No hindrance. Now, don't hear me saying, Hey, you know, friends, by the way, the Holy Spirit's praying for you and Jesus is praying for you. So, like, you don't even need to pray because you can't do it as good as they do. No. Why do we pray? Well, we pray because... Scripture tells us to. And we pray uh, because it is good for us. And by praying, part of it is not us trying to tell God what to do, but him aligning our wills with his will. Right? And so we pray. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying there's times when you don't know what to pray. I have those. There's times when you don't feel like praying. I have those. Pastors are not supposed to say that, but we do. There's times when I... I just don't feel motivated to pray. I don't, I don't know what to pray or how to pray. Or, or I get frustrated and I feel like my prayers are ineffective. And in those moments, I can take comfort 
that Jesus is praying for me and that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. And in effect, I think by knowing that, then I feel all the more free to pray because I know like, I'm I'm not going to mess this up. I'm not going to like do something wrong. I just, I pray with the freedom knowing that God is ultimately in control of it all. And he's going to, he's going to figure it out. And so I can pray to him as loving father and trusting and knowing that the spirit and Jesus are praying with me. That's incredible comfort. The second resource we have as we wait and we long and we groan is knowing God's plan. That God has a plan. It's bigger than our plan. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This is a special promise for believers that for us who have been called to his purpose, God works all things together for his glory and our good. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. That means that even when genuinely bad things happen, even when evil things, even when the world is not the way it's supposed to be and my life is not the way it's supposed to be, somehow in light of eternity, God is working it together in his eternal purposes for his glory and my good. We can believe that. We can know that a better plan. And his sovereignty is magnified in this incredible promise. A couple of months ago, or a while back, I don't remember how long it's been, but we did this series in the second half of the book of Genesis in the life of Joseph. And it was called Intended for Good. And basically the punchline of the whole story is at the end of Joseph's life. He says, you intended to harm me, genuine evil, right? Pain on the train tracks, but God intended it for good. Hope, pain and hope, expectation, longing, and hope of future glory. You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. What is now being done, the saving of many lives. And friends, God is doing it in your life as well. He's working through the pain and through the hope, and we can trust that he has an ultimately good plan. And the the third thing that we have as a resource is to trust and rest in God's progress. Now, there's a lot of things that I could say about Romans 8, 29, and 30. I could preach several sermons just on these texts, so I can't adequately cover it here. But I just want to say a few things to get us going in the right direction. The first one, is this tells us that God alone is the one who saves. He saves us. We cannot save ourselves. It tells us that salvation from start to finish is God's doing. It is his work. And it tells us that those that God is saving will never fully and finally stall out. In other words, God's progress cannot be stopped. So when you get frustrated in your own life, your own process of sanctification, seeing the same patterns, the hard things, take comfort and know that what God has started, he will finish. Paul wrote in another place to the Philippians, he said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So then one step forward and two steps back or three steps back or 10 steps back. But friends, if you are in Christ, he is saving you and he will never let you go and he will never give up on you. His progress will not stall out. So you may be incredibly frustrated, but trust in God's progress. He accomplishes his work. Always, nothing can stop him. He is God. 
So let us meditate on the hope of the glory of God. In the midst of our very real pain, may we also see that God is at work and he is giving us hope. May we see our present circumstances in light of eternity. May we take great comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are praying for us and that God has a good plan that cannot be stopped. That is real hope. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, would you make us into your hope-filled people? Our world is longing for hope. We are longing for hope. We are groaning. We are frustrated with life as it is. And many times there are no words to express what we're feeling. But God, we can trust and know and take great comfort in the fact that you are there with us and that you also are pushing things forward to a day when we will experience a joy that far outweighs the darkest days we experience on planet Earth. God, encourage us. Give us hope that we can share with others the light of this hope. God, make us into your good news people, people who share your hope with the world. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.